here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the brand new Las Vegas Raiders. This is the Raiders Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now your host, Ryan O'Leary and Raiders Wire editor Marcus Mosher. Abrams hanging around that line of scrimmage. Yeah, he shouldn't be there, right? He's coming. Not yet. Here's Breeze. And it's intercepted. It's picked off. Nicholas Morrow for Las Vegas. Marcus, what's good, my man? The Raiders are 2-0. They just knocked off a Saints team that a lot of people have pegged as a Super Bowl contender. I mean, how much should Raiders Nation be believing right now? I mean, are the Raiders back? Because I think I think we're back, right? And this is 2-0, uh, you know, beating a good Saints team on Monday Night Football. I think there's a lot to be excited about in Raiders Nation right now. And absolutely. And, and last week we talked about how the Raiders could get in trouble if they face an early double-digit deficit, right? And they get down 17-7. Mm-hmm. I'm watching the game on Monday night. I'm like, all right, Marcus told me these Saints are going to run away with it here. And uh, so I think that's going to be my number one takeaway is the Raiders down by 10, score the touchdown, get that great interception where uh, I don't know what Breeze was doing, but a, gr- a great pick by Morrow. I'm sure you'll break that down for us. Mm-hmm. And then they get the game tied, and then they run away with it in the second half. I mean, that is a great sign to see them come back from double digits like that against the Saints. Yeah, in Gruden's first two years with the Raiders, there's just no way they ever would have been able to make that comeback. They just weren't the, a mentally tough enough team to do that. When they got down by two scores against a good team, it just started to, you know, uh, roll on them, and they could never recover. I think this team might be a little bit different. Uh, you know, going into halftime, you thought the Saints had a 17-14 lead. They were probably going to add to it on that final drive, but no, Morrow picks it off. The Raiders get a field goal, and all of a sudden, it's 17-17 at halftime, and we got a game. you got to like that they took advantage of the opportunity. Obviously, the Saints did not have Michael Thomas, and the defense stepped up and, and made it happen. Breeze looked pedestrian. Breeze hasn't looked great the first yeah. two weeks, honestly, but the Raiders' defense like that we thought that was the weakness right coming in and they played pretty well yeah first of all we never apologize for a win right everybody's at everybody has injuries everybody's dealing with something so never never apologize for a win but uh yeah the Raiders defense did their job they didn't allow this game to be a high scoring one from the Saints they forced them to use up a lot of the field uh they were forcing Drew Brees to try to drive the ball down the field uh and he didn't do it very well so the Raiders aren't going to have a top 10 top 12 defense they just don't have the talent and the personnel to do it But can they do what they did on Monday night against a lot of teams? You know, hold opponents to 21, 24 points, get a couple turnovers, get a couple key stops and, you know, give the ball back to your offense. I I think that's possible. And I think that's what Gruden and Paul Gunther want. They they know uh, how they're going to try to win games this year. And that's a perfect blueprint of how uh, how they want to be successful this year. Yeah, and as you wrote, that Morrow interception in the second quarter, late in the second quarter, was the game changer. It changed the game. Breeze threw it right to him. So people watching the game are probably like, what the hell is he doing? Uh, so what happened yeah. on that play? Yeah, it was just a, a misread between Breeze and the tight end on that play. And Morrow knew uh, you know, the, the spot where the tight end should be. Uh, Breeze threw it with some anticipation. And you know, this is one of the things when you have um, some turnover on offense. And you have to trust other guys besides just going to Michael Thomas on every single pass. Uh, it was just it was a great play by Morrow. It wasn't necessarily the, you know, a mistake by Breeze. These kind of things happen uh, between quarterbacks and young tight ends. But yeah, give credit for Morrow for being in the right spot at the right time. Now, I know we were talking 
interesting. Before we started recording here, you're a diehard Cowboys fan, so you've got to mm-hmm. be proud that Darren Waller is being mentioned in the same breath as Jason Witten with his performance <laughs> on Monday night. But uh, uh, Darren Waller is maybe, maybe the easiest person in the NFL to root for, right? After all the struggles that he had, you know, yeah, with the Ravens and, you know, being able to overcome substance abuse to being one of the best two or three tight ends in the NFL. After the game, John Gruden said, listen, as good as Travis Kelsey and George Kittle are, I would take Darren Waller over both of them because of what he can do after the catch. You saw in this game, there was a couple key third downs where Derek Carr threw the ball short of the sticks and was trusting that Waller could make a couple guys miss and break some tackles to get to the first down. And he did. It was a it was a historic performance by Waller on Monday night. You don't see many tight ends getting targeted 16 times in a game. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah, and he, I mean, he absolutely deserves it. I don't know if there's anybody in the league that can cover him. So expect that to, I mean, not 16 targets, but expect double-digit target, sure. targets each week going forward for him. He's just, he's their best offensive player. And Gruden knows that. Derek Card knows that. They're going to find ways to get him involved in, in the games. Yeah, as, as Gruden said, I mean, and as we're coming up on our fantasy football segment with the huddle.com coming up here, uh, you know, people burning those second round picks on Kelsey and Kittle. Uh, you know, people got Waller, I think, for a steal in those in those middle rounds. Whoever, whoever yeah, drafted five, Waller, it wasn't round, me. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't me. I sh- it should have been me. I was telling people all during fantasy season long, you know, this fantasy football is supposed to be fun, right? Take the guys that you want to root for. I'm willing to go an extra round early to grab Darren Waller in the fifth round because uh, I want him on my team. He's Again, he's easy to root for, and the upside is ridiculous. Only three touchdowns last year. If that touchdown total can get closer to 7-8, you know, he's going to be an absolute star. All right, we got more coming up on the 2-0 Raiders here on the Raiders Wire podcast. We'll be right back. Fantasy football is about proving that you are better than your friends. Sit them, start them. These are the fantasy picks of the week. It will kill me if this game ends at a tie. I need this win. This game's pretty much done. With Corey Bonini from TheHuddle.com. Corey Benini with TheHuddle.com here to talk to you about strong plays for Week 3. Chicago Bears quarterback Mitchell Trubisky against the Atlanta Falcons. The matchup is brilliant, and Atlanta's offense could put Chicago in a pass-happy situation. Trubisky may make mistakes like we saw last week with two interceptions, but he should be able to take advantage on the outside with his strong wide receivers. Deion Lewis takes over for Saquon Barkley at least for this week. Devontae Freeman looks like he'll be the guy going forward, but he's coming off the street and doesn't know the playbook. San Francisco is so beaten up on both sides of the ball right now that the Giants should be able to stay in the game late enough to continue running the football. If not, Lewis is a capable receiver out of the backfield as well. Jaguars wide receiver Keelan Cole has the eye of quarterback Gardner Minshew and he has a fine matchup against the banged up Miami secondary. And furthermore, DJ Chark is banged up himself, which could mean more work for Cole if the injury is aggravated during the contest. Look for him to make it three games in a row with a touchdown to open the 2020 season. And finally, Cincinnati tight end Drew Sample. He's a second year player who will fill in for CJ Uzama who was lost for the year after torn Achilles tendon last week. Sample saw nine targets last week, catching seven of them, but for only 45 yards. That's a product of having a rookie quarterback who's not willing to take as many chances downfield. Last week, Tyler Higby scored three touchdowns, and Logan Thomas had one in week one on only nine total catches against the Eagles in 2020 by tight ends. For more fantasy football information, check out thehuddle.com. Coach, in the way out last night, you did. Uh, you mentioned at the end uh, that you'd had the virus. Is that something that uh, uh, was like uh, Sean Payton had it? He said he just stayed in for two weeks and he was fine. How, how was your like experience with it? I don't want to get into it, really. It wasn't pleasant, and uh, it was reported that uh, I made up that I had the virus, and it really ticked me off because I would never do something like that. But 
Uh, it's a very serious matter, and you know, obviously, I'm sensitive about it. But yeah, it was a tough ordeal, that's for sure. Just like everybody else that's had it. So a post that came up on the Raiders Wire site, I think it was today, Marcus, is uh, Gruden getting fined for not wearing his mask. The NFL is fining everyone for not wearing their mask. The, <laughs> the coaches are having a hard time with this thing. Yeah, and it's tough for someone like Gruden who's so emotional on the sideline and wants to be up in players' faces and yelling at referees. I, I suspect this probably isn't going to be the only time that Gruden is fined for not wearing his mask. <laughs> uh, but the NFL is serious about these guys on the sideline making sure they're wearing their mask uh, because they know the potential consequences of if a head coach gets sick and he gives it to four or five other players, uh, how that can affect the product on Sunday and Monday. So it's a huge fine for the Raiders and for Gruden. Uh, don't expect it to be the last one either. At least he can afford it, right? At yeah, least he's fine. Uh, he's, he's okay. As reporters, did you guys know before Gruden talked about it, I think it was like towards the end of his presser, right, on Monday night, that he talked about having it, Did you having the virus? Did you guys know about that? No, but there were some signs that something was going on. You know, in July, he was gone from the team for a little bit. He wasn't coming into the facility as much he, as he was used to. So um, looking back at it now, we probably should have known. But no, there wasn't anything, you know, where we were thinking, hey, does John Gruden potentially have COVID? Nope, that wasn't the case. We know that, you know, maybe Gruden was struggling with his mask a little bit, but not with his late game decisions because mm-hmm. he lines up Carlson for this 54-yard kick up seven where they're even saying it on the broadcast, Marcus. They're like, oh, man, you might give Breeze good field position. Don't miss this kick. What are you doing? And uh, But Carlson knocks that thing through. Gruden's pumping his fists on the sideline. He's like, hell yeah, put the game out of reach 10 points, unless you're playing the Falcons, of course. You know, that game might have still been <laughs> gettable if you're playing the Falcons, but thankfully they're playing the Raiders and that game was over. What do you think about that decision for Gruden to put money on his kicker who we know Carlson's been banging him through all year so far? Yeah, in most situations, uh, teams punt the ball, right? They're, the Saints had no timeouts left. Right. Uh, there was only, I think, 65 seconds left on the clock. You try to pin him inside the 10-yard line and force them to go the length of the field. But we're in Las Vegas, baby, and it's time to gamble and it's time to go win, right? And that's what Gruden did. He didn't want to leave this game into the hands of his defense and Sean Payton and Drew Brees. He wanted to go win the game now. So he sent out his kicker and he talked about, listen, they're not playing on a dirt infield anymore. There's no wind to worry about. He's got a kicker with a, you know, a huge leg. Why not send him out there? At the worst case scenario, the Saints are still going to need to drive 50 yards to get a touchdown anyways. At least you're giving yourself another chance to win this game. And he did it. So I, I applaud him. I mean, anytime that you can go out and win a game and not have to play not to lose, you do it. And I think that was Gruden's first big win and big gamble. Uh, in his Las Vegas career. Oh, my God. That's such a good point, right? They're not kicking from the second base uh, area on the infield. Mm-hmm. Good God. You know, it's so, yeah, beautiful, brand-new stadium. I actually rewound my uh, my YouTube TV a couple times, Marcus, when they showed the angle coming out of the one of the end zones where you can see the, the Vegas skyline behind it's the stadium. I thought man. that was awesome. What was your uh, impressions of the stadium and how it looked? It's really unfortunate that we didn't get fans uh, in that first game because that Terrible. stadium is incredible, man. I think once we get get that thing packed and there's 70 80,000 people and they're all wearing black I love the black seat that's going to be one of the best stadiums in all the NFL so we got a little taste of what it's going to look like you know on a typical Sunday and it's going to be weird for the rest of this season but uh, that's going to be one of those ones where whenever the Raiders are in prime time or on a Sunday night or Monday night you're going to want to watch them just for that stadium feel the Raiders are now heading to Foxborough me and Marcus are going to get into that game a little bit but first here's some sports betting advice from the sportsbook wire we'll be right back 
It's that time again for the line of the week. The inside track to the favorites, the underdogs, and the over-unders. I think I want my money back. Now, here are Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren from USA Today's Sportsbook Wire. Hello, I'm Eston McLaren of SportsbookWire.com and Bet Slipping Podcast, and I'm joined by my colleague Jeff Clark. Here's what you need to know to bet the Week 3 Monday Night Football matchup in the NFL's game of the year between the Kansas City Chiefs and Baltimore Ravens. The Chiefs are plus 155 underdogs on the money line. Jeff, that's right. The Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs, plus 155 underdogs. The Baltimore Ravens are laying three and a half points at home. I'm going to go against the grain, against the public here. Give me the Ravens, minus three and a half, to win by at least four points. Oh, man, I want to push back and just take the Chiefs at the money line. You said plus 155. That's enticing. But if you're going to give me the three points, I'll take it. Has Patrick Mahomes ever gotten three and a half points? I'm pretty sure not, Eston. Uh, the defending Super Bowl champions. There's going to be no fans there at the M&T Bake Stadium in Baltimore. And they have one of the better home crowd advantages, which is going to be neutered because of the unfortunate situation right now. I'll take... The dog uh, Super Bowl champion Chiefs at plus three and a half. I'm on Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. Check out Sportsbook Wire for more with all odds from BetMGM Sportsbook. Subscribe to Bet Slipping Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. All right, Marcus, the Pats were uh, my Pats out here in New England. Uh, one play away, one yard away from being 2-0, and just like the Raiders, but they couldn't get it done on Sunday night. I'm sure you were watching that game. That game was just, like, so fun to watch. It was, like, in heaven. I think a lot of these games, like the Cowboys game, too, we were talking about. The Monday night game was great. The Sunday night game, I mean, football is just, like, Thank God it's back. You know, it's been, can, can it's been we have, so fun. Can we have the Seahawks and the Patriots play every year oh, on God. that game? Because the, the games that we get between those two are just like classic heavyweight bouts. They're, they're fantastic. Seriously, and you take out Tom Brady, put in Cam Newton, and nothing changes. You know, it's still a, an amazing game that comes down to the last play. Absolutely. It's so good. Uh, what do you think about this matchup? Uh, the, the Patriots are a different team with uh, with Newton. Week one against the Dolphins, they ran the ball right down the Dolphins' throats and didn't throw it too much. Week two against the Seahawks, they passed it way more than they ran, and Newton almost threw for 400 yards. So, I mean, two completely different game plans, and that's kind of how the Patriots like to do things. What do you think about this matchup right now? Yeah, I think this game tells me more about New England than, than the Raiders, right? This is, you know, New England coming back home after a tough Sunday night game, playing at that one, you know, one o'clock slot. New England doesn't lose two games in a row very often. Uh, and with the Raiders coming off, you know, a big Monday night win, you know, having a short week, having to travel, having to play that early game, which John Gruden has traditionally struggled on the East Coast. Things aren't setting up particularly well for them. Uh, I do expect this to be a somewhat close game because I think one of the ways that you can beat New England is if you run the ball, if you can stay true to your rushing attack and just try to grind out the game. It does seem like New England will have some problems there. Their front seven isn't quite as talented as it's been in the last couple of years. And a lot of the reason is because of who they lost in free agency and some of the opt-outs. But if the Raiders can run the ball in this game, they can keep it close. Uh, They can keep Cam Newton in check. They'll give themselves a chance. I just don't see them beating New England uh, on Sunday. As you said, the Patriots linebacking core, after losing Dante Hightower to the opt-out, letting Kyle Van Noy go to the Dolphins, I mean... They're, Jamie they're Collins li- to Detroit. Yeah. Jamie, Jamie Collins, too. Their linebacking has been terrible, and it was really bad against the Seahawks, and Russell Wilson carved them up. So that'll be interesting to watch. Can the Patriots guard Darren Waller? 
who's going to be running around all over the place. I don't know. And they definitely can't cover him with a linebacker. That's for sure. That's going to be an interesting matchup because Belichick typically doesn't allow your best player to beat you. So is he going to put like a Stephon Gilmore on Darren Waller? Is he just going to double him with a safety and a linebacker and hope uh, that Carr has to throw to the rookie receivers? I don't know. Um, I think that's one of the things I'm most um, interested to see is what does Belichick do to take away Darren Waller in this contest? Yeah, they're going to try. And another thing the Patriots have been doing this year is playing – you know, a lot of defensive backs trying to make up, I think, for their, the, you know, their deficiencies at linebacker. They're playing a safety at linebacker a lot, uh, Adrian Phillips. Mm-hmm. So a team that can line up and run the football seems like they could have some success. So if they can get uh, Josh Jacobs going, I kind of like the Raiders in this one a little bit, at least to sneak inside that five and a half point spread. Uh, what do you think yeah. about the spread? I think the Raiders could sneak in inside that at, at the very least if they don't win. Yeah, I think that, I mean, that feels like just the right number, right? Because I, I could see this being, you know, a last possession game where New England scores a final touchdown and it goes to six or seven. Yeah, I, I expect this to be close for the first three quarters, um, and but I expect New England to put them away. Again, the Raiders have, are going to have a really short week here traveling after the Monday night football game. Good point. Um, I Again, Gruden's teams have historically really struggled in the first quarter when they have to play that early East Coast game. I expect that to be the case in this one as well. So I still like New England, uh, you know, minus five and a half. Probably it's going to be up to six by the time this game kicks off. I I think they'll win and cover. Hey, the moral of the story, though, is that this is an interesting matchup and the Raiders are 2-0. And that's that's a beautiful thing for Vegas right now. Yeah, imagine if they win this game. Think about what the oh, hype is going to be. Oh, God. Oh, it's going to be it's going to be ridiculous. Yeah, You're oh. going to see the Raiders in the top five or six of power rankings. People will be talking about Derek Carr as the actual you know MVP candidate. It's going to be crazy. Yeah, if they knock off Saints and then come to Foxborough and knock off the Pats. I'm hopping on the Ooh. train with you, Marcus. We'll be we'll be on the train next week, just uh, just going going wild. Yeah, we'll have, we'll have a different conversation next week about uh, these Raiders. Absolutely. Hey, enjoy the week. Enjoy the games. Yeah, Brian, we'll see you later. We'll talk about it next week on the Raiders Wire podcast. Thanks for joining us. This USA Today sports podcast has been presented by USA Today's sports media group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini and the Huddle podcast inside the weekly line with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren and the Bet Slippin' podcast. We'll see you again next week.